All right, all right. Good morning. How are we doing? We're good. It's good to see y'all. It's good to be here. Uh, let me pray for our morning, and uh, we'll get started, all right? Father God, we, we, we come before you today, Lord, and just humbled, Lord, uh, for another day, an opportunity, Lord, to open up your word. What a gift. Father, we thank you that we woke up with uh, breath in our lungs, uh, Lord, and, and uh, just another day of life. Father, we thank you, Lord, for a great week. We, uh, I pray so, Lord, with, with family and friends gathered around a table, Lord. May I pray that we remembered you, Father, in communion um, around a table as we shared what we're thankful for in a really cheesy way. Uh, but, Lord, we, we are so thankful. We truly are, and we're thankful to be here today. And so, Lord, I pray, um, God, as I teach, Father, will you humble my heart? Um, Father, will you help me be, um, stand firm in truth, Lord, and uh, teach your word? I know that I cannot humanly do this justice. And so, Father, remind me of that as I teach. Um, and uh, I ask these things in your name. Amen. 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 Hey, it is good to be here with y'all today. Uh, man, how many, of us, how many of us had any interesting discussions around the dinner table or with family this week? Any good discussions? All right. How about, uh, man, any tiffs with family? All right, anybody? Yeah, all right, myself. Uh, anytime you're in a family, I, I think it's hilarious, honestly, when I think about this. The older you get, the more you realize how messy family is at times. Uh, when you gather around with a bunch of people in a small place uh, for a, an extended amount of time, it can uh, become easily kind of annoying at times, right? And uh, I realize as much as I love my family, um, having 15, 16 people in one place for a few days in a row uh, can really be something, all right? And so I hope overall, though, that uh, maybe you can relate it all, but I hope overall that it was a great holiday. It's great to see you uh, today as we're in preparation over in the next few weeks to get ready for the next big holiday in Christmas, all right? I love that uh, John started off with the Merry Christmas. We are excited. Obviously, we got the trees. We're pretty official around here, if you can't tell. Uh, so we uh, are thankful for that. So as I think about Thanksgiving and I think about my time at home, I've honestly been uh, struggling, I would say, and I'll kind of start off with a couple disclaimers, but I struggled this week with a few concepts. I struggled. All right, normally I'm going to start out with... Um, lighthearted stuff. I'm going to start out today with just something that, hey, I just want to share with y'all something I'm learning. Y'all good with that? Everybody good with that? Okay, sweet. So here is uh, kind of what I struggled with. When I'm at home, I struggle with me wanting my time. Does that make sense? I struggle with me. I, I live by myself or I live with a roommate, but I'm saying I've been on my own since I left for college, right? So you have your own time, you have your own routine, you have your own agenda. Got it? So when I go home, I realize that that's kind of all thrown out the window. So it is easy for me to miss out on things around me because I'm focused on self. I'm focused on my own contentment, doing the things that I want to do. Got it? Anybody else kind of relate? A few of us, like three. Okay. All right. Well, I'm speaking to three, but no, I'm just kidding. So here is what I just want to give you all a picture for this. Okay? So it is hard for me. I know that I have a relationship with Jesus. I know that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, all right? So uh, welcome to Artwork 101, all right? Uh, I took theater in high school. I did not take art, so bear with me, all right? So here we go. Here, I'm just going to give us a word picture. Here is me. Here is you. Got it? Here we go. 
All right, here we go, stick figure. Y'all see it? Okay, so this is me, all right? We're just going to title this me or you. Same thing, all right? Now, here's what's true. I'm empty. Without anything in me, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, with just me and my human flesh, I'm pretty empty. There's not much to my core. Now, if we remember Galatians 2, verse 20 says that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives where? In me. So we're going to title this, I don't know, it looks like a tackle box, <laughs> all right? We're going to title this Christ. Oh, I just misspelled Christ. <laughs> all right, here we go. Yeah, good start to the morning. Uh, I told y'all. All right, there's Christ <laughs> in a really non-perfect way. Uh, he is perfect. He is, deserves way more than this. So Christ now lives in me. Got that? We together? So me, Christ. Now, it then says in Colossians 3, verse 3, okay, that we are now hidden in Christ, that we now have a new relationship. We now have a new life, and now we are hidden in Christ. So now I have Christ that lives in me. I'm no longer hidden, okay? Now here I am at Thanksgiving, okay, being, needing to be reminded of this. Then I say, what did I say? Colossians 3, verse 3 says, I am hidden with Christ. So here we go again, redemption. Let's see if I get it right. Uh, yeah, all right, give me a round of applause for you. I'm just kidding. All right, so now we have Christ, okay? So I have me by myself, human, very flesh, very fleshly, wanting my own way. Then it says I have a relationship with Jesus now that I've trusted my life in Christ, okay? So now I'm, uh, sorry, that is no longer I who live, but he who lives in me. We see that here. And now it says I have been hidden with Christ or hidden in Christ, and so now we are covered in that by him. We are now hidden in Christ. Now, lastly, something I need to remember this, because here's the thing. When I am home wanting my own way, when I am home around family that has other agendas and that bothers me, it is ultimately because I'm seeking my own contentment. It is ultimately because I am discontent because things may not be going my way. I have trouble remembering this because it is easier for me to think about me in the smaller version of this container without Christ in me, without me hidden in Christ, because I'm focusing on self and my own contentment. And it is very difficult for me. I open with this, just sharing. I want to be vulnerable with you all today of how hard this is for me. But here's what the great reminder is. He lives in me. I now don't have to be ashamed for the way that my flesh or the way that I want to think for myself. Now I have forgiveness and freedom in that. Then it says I'm hidden with Christ. Now I have security in Christ that because he lives in me, ultimately I can go to a king and say, will you forgive me for this? Lord, help me with this. Then it says you are hidden in Christ. There's security in that. Garrison, there's security in that. I'm not done. John chapter 8, Jesus, when he is living, says, oh, you think I'm, no, 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 just wait. I'm here doing what the Father has asked me to do because I and the Father are one. And so here is God in elementary year three. <laughs> Sorry, MK. All right, God. And so now we have me, Christ in me. I'm hidden with Christ. 
Now I'm in God. I wish I had a lid for this. But look at this. Is this not ultimate security? Is this not saying that I can be, actually be content in Jesus Christ because he has me? I have to be reminded of this, and I'm just going to keep it here so we can see it. I have to be reminded of this all the time. And when it comes to my contentment, I'm really bad at remembering this. Because it's easy for me to think from the empty me container. And so today we're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, and continue in our series. All right? And we're going to pick up where Paul is going to teach us what it means to be content in Jesus, knowing we have security in him. But he knows, he's very human, how easy it is to forget that. And so Paul, we're going to read here in a second, that he says, I have found the secret to contentment. And that is what I'm going to teach on today, is that contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. The reason I say that is because as all of you, or maybe just me, is that this has to be reminded at all times. If I'm not reminding myself of this or being reminded of this, I'm kind of slowly straying away from that truth. Does that make sense? The more I'm reminded, the more I grow, the more I grow closer to Jesus, the more I become content. And we're going to hear about that. So what did I say? Contentment is learned. And so like I said, we're picking up in Philippians 4. Uh, Paul is still in prison. Paul is still in prison. He's writing this, this letter. He is wrapping up his letter to the church at Philippi. And so we are going to pick up there, but man, we are, hold on one second, just real quick before we jump in to Philippians 4. I want you to keep your thumb there. And we're going to jump around a few different places, but I just want to remind us where Paul is and put ourselves in his shoes. He's lonely, he's tired, he's chained to a guard, he's in prison. He just said, do not be anxious for anything, as John taught on last week incredibly well. And this week he's saying, in these next two verses, not even two verses apart, is saying, be content. You're like, okay, man, come on. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're telling me don't be anxious, and now you're telling me to content. You're asking way too much. That's how I feel a lot of the time when I read with Paul. You see, he knows the reason he is teaching on contentment and saying you can be content in Christ because he knows we are very human and he knows that contentment is an issue. It was then and it is today, amen? Because we are extremely discontent people. We are an extremely discontent generation, culture, world. We know this. We know this very well in a lot of our everyday interactions. And a lot of every day that we walk through, when we learn that, man, I, I'm losing content based on what others say of me, what others think of me. I'm losing content because I don't have enough money yet. Maybe if I can get to this certain dollar amount, then I'll be good. I, I lose contentment because I need this. And it's on to the next thing, and to the next thing, and to the next thing. I'm not content because of my current circumstances. You don't know what I'm going through. And so today, I'm going to give you some arguments 
of why Paul, and I'm gonna, I was a huge Mythbusters fan growing up. Anybody like Mythbusters here? Yeah. So the whole point of that was, man, there were, there were these myths that these guys would just go out. Their whole sole purpose of the show, I think it's hilarious, is they got paid to just bust myths about random things. And I'm going to argue that Paul is doing the same thing. And so today, we're going to learn five myths of contentment. Five myths of contentment that we think of today when we think of that word. All right, so if you write that down, number one through five, I ask that you get your pen, your paper, your phone, take notes. I I pray, I don't think that I have anything special to say. I do think that Paul has something special to say through the word of God. And so keep the pen handy. And so we're going to learn five myths about what Paul says or busts about contentment and replace them with five truths. Okay? And so as I said, Paul is wrapping up his letter to the church of Philippi, and we pick up in verse 10. So join me uh, in reading the word of God. Verse 10, Paul speaking. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned, here it is, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here it is, 413, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we're just going to focus on verse 10 right here. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So what is he saying here? You see, Paul has not heard, listen to this, this is kind of crazy as I study this, it blows my mind. He has not heard from the church at Philippi in 10 years. Not heard meaning he hasn't received a gift, he hasn't received a letter, he hasn't received a single person, he hasn't seen a carrier pigeon, right, right? He hasn't heard from them in 10 years. What's different about Philippians is I hope we've learned over the past, uh, I don't know, five months, <laughs> a long time that we've been in this book, is that, man, he has a great love and passion and desire for the church at Philippi. If any letter, he were to be the nicest, sweetest version of Paul you could read. It is Philippians. He loves them dearly. And yet someone or some people he loves dearly, he hasn't heard from in 10 years while he has been in need and hunger and thirst. He's chained to a guard. He's in isolation. So myth number one that we see from verse 10 Myth number one that we believe about contentment is that my contentment is based off others or their treatment of me. My contentment is based on others and their treatment of me. You see, we think that our everyday contentment or discontentment can be so easily swayed by how people are acting around us, how we think we deserve to be treated, how we think that man, and me, myself included, this is this whole thing, is that I truly believe that, man, I will be content when everything around me and everybody treating me like I think I should be treated. And Paul is saying, if anybody were to understand this, it'd be Paul sitting in isolation saying, the very people I love I haven't heard from in 10 years, and I freak out when I don't get a text back, <laughs> right? And Paul is saying, man, I haven't heard from you in 10 years, and yet I re- Rejoice greatly 
from hearing of your concern for me because finally I've heard from you through a guy named Epaphroditus. Big name, all right? I call him Big E, all right? Big E comes out of nowhere from Philippi. He was sick. He couldn't get to him. Paul has no idea how. He shows up and reminds them, reminds Paul of, men they're actually doing really well, but they need encouragement. Paul sends this letter with him, and Big E is the one reading this to the church at Philippi. He had been 10 years not hearing from anyone. You see, we find in Paul, what he's trying to say is, I don't find my validation in others like I do. I don't, I am not, and I don't have to be codependent like all of us. Because really what he's saying is, I'm not dependent upon your treatment of me, your words to me, your uh, gifts to me. My contentment is not based on their treatment of me. Gosh, I just like, every time I say that, it's such a, like my disclaimer number one was, man, I should have set, started out with this. I'm going to be very vulnerable with y'all today. But second, my disclaimer number one is that as I study for this, it just was turmoil in my heart as I just was like, Lord, please help me. Because I am not like this. I don't think I could say that this could be completely true of my life. Amen? Maybe I, I'm, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I'm probably not alone here. That my disclaimer number one is that, man, I do not base my contentment or sorry, that my contentment, I do base my contentment a lot of the time on how others treat me or should have or should have spoken to me. Disclaimer number two, I ask that you're content, that you show contentment towards me uh, about my mustache because I forgot to shave this morning for No Shave November. <laughs> so that was disclaimer number two. Uh, so forgive me for that. Uh, but I, it's dirty December, I guess. So uh, moving forward. <laughs> so, um, but man, I, I joke, all jokes aside, all right? I'll, and now everybody's staring. I'll, I'll shave it, I promise. So all jokes aside, this is very true is that I base my contentment based on what others think or based on what others, uh, how others treat me. And Paul's saying, man, I went 10 years without knowledge of how you were doing, without support from a church that loves me dearly. You say you love me dearly. I went 10 years, and yet I'm still content in the Lord even though I haven't heard from you, and I get to rejoice 10 years later when I hear from you because my contentment is not based on what others think of me or what their treatment of me. You see, I saw this firsthand. It kind of made me think of it last night, actually. Last night, I got done working out, and I, uh, John or Jonathan Dennis texted me and said, hey, I'm, I'm back from Thanksgiving and watched the end of the uh, Alabama-Auburn game. I said, sweet, I'm there. So I head over to JD's house. John's there, Taylor, all their family, and I go and hang out. We order dinner uh, and are hanging out there. And I, remember, I don't remember how we got on the conversation, but I said something about, man, what's on my Christmas list, all right? And uh, we started laughing. I was like, whatever, I still make a Christmas list, all right? Uh, and so I was like, man, number one, I really want a record player, all right? I really want a record player. And I said, you know what I mean? Like, I just want that old vintage style, like, you know, just my, and here's where, just bear with me, all right? So I'm just like, you know, and I'm sharing with Jonathan and John. And I go, you know, like my, wa my wife walks in one day and I like put it on and we like dance, you know what I'm saying? Like just this perfect scene of just like, I mean, we dance, we got this slow old school music and all this. And they just kind of look at me like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they're like, I hate to bust your bubble, <laughs> all right? I hate to bust your bubble, all right? And you can keep, please don't let this offend you. 
but man, I, I want to I bring you back down to earth level that there may not be as many times in that in marriage as you think. And, you know, and I'm like, God, you don't, don't cut me down. You know what I'm saying? Come on, a man's got a dream. And so here's the thing is I was reminded of this, and as John and I talked a little bit about this, is that even if, all right, even if I dream of that, and I think that'd be amazing, I think that'd be awesome with my record player, all right, that I'm going to get this year. No, I'm just kidding. But even if that is true, and maybe that does happen, I don't know. But even if my wife, as my dad likes to say, has two left feet, right, and can't dance, even if my wife, Lord willing, doesn't want to or doesn't want that, my contentment, thank you, John, for the reminder, and Jonathan, last night, that my contentment cannot be based on that. Does that make sense? My contentment cannot be based if my expectations are a little different. It's not based on how others treat us or why we think we should be treated. Man, that's good. All right, moving on. We got to keep going. Okay, so we're going to keep going and jump in. Let's jump back into the text. So myth number one was that my contentment is based on how others treat me. And the truth is, it is not it does not have to be based on that. It's not based on that. So myth number two, as we read real quick, uh, it says, let's pick back up in the text. Verse 10, going into 11. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so myth number two that Paul is about to bust about our idea of contentment is that my contentment is truly just getting what I want. My contentment is based off of my needs, and when I think they are met, that's when I can be content. And Paul is saying, that's not true, man. Please don't hear that. We miss out on true contentment because we truly believe it is contingent on our needs, upon our needs. You see, everything around us speaks to our needs, right? Everything Everything we see in our generation and what we want of thinking that, man, I have to have this or, man, I really want this. And once I get this, I will be content. I will be happy. I will be joyful. And everything speaks to that need. And everyone is doing it now. If you notice that, man, every advertisement, everything today is pointed towards your need and you need this. You are missing out if you don't have this. And it really is a generation or in a culture today we live in that says, man, you are not living your best life until you do what you want. And when you do what you want, you get freedom. And when you get freedom, you get to be all who you think you are. I'm going to take it a step further. Because if we think about that, then we think, okay, well then because of what I think I need, then because what I want, now I get to say, uh, now I get to say, and be completely free in what I believe to be true about my gender, to be, believe what I truly believe about how our culture should act, about self-love, about self-care, about self-praise, and all this and all this. It is all based on what I want and what I need. And our culture is just rampant with it, of saying, do you. Go all in. Have at it. And as last week John shared, we've never seen him more depressed. We've never seen him more anxious. Culture in history. And what Paul is saying is my contentment is not based on getting what I want. 
what I want is to be at a prison. What I want is to be free, to be able to walk freely without having people chase me down and tie me down and bring me to jail. What I want is to have a great meal and be around my friends. What I want, what I want, what I want. And here's the thing is Paul is so human, I have no doubt that he had those thoughts. And it is not based on what I want. And yet Paul gets to say that, man, I have found contentment. And not speaking of a need, I've been in very great need. I am currently in very great need. It's not based on it. You see, I talked about how, man, our our generation and what we see or where we see advertisements in general, man, I think number one is Apple. Apple has done an, an amazing job, to be honest. They're brilliant with their advertising and the way that they have created their business structure. Because here's the thing is that some things, they, they give updates to where your old phones can't work anymore and you got to get the new one. And then what they do is they sell, right, to specific people saying, you need this. You want this. Trust me. And I can't think of anybody else but my friend John Almquist on who Apple literally thinks and points their things towards. Here's the thing I learned about John very on when I met him. I moved down here about a year and a half ago, all right, almost. And I remember meeting John and realizing over the first few weeks that I realized that, man, Number one, he loves God, all right? Loves God with all his heart. He really does. Number two, he loves Taylor and Lily, his wife and his daughter. He loves them, all right? Then number three on his list are Apple products, all right? Seriously, number three is Apple products. This man, I remember walking to the office one day, and it was in the old office. We were still building. Gosh, don't even get me started on that, all right? And so we're still building the office, and this man had had the time to build a chair with a TV set up on it. We had a day off. I think it was the day off. Anyways, and I walk in. And John's sitting there watching the new reveal for the new Apple III pencil or something like that. And I'm literally like, dude, what? You know, like I'm coming in. We got we to gotta build this. And he's just like, hold on, hold on. You know, we got another 30 minutes or so. And he's watching the Apple reveal for the new iPad pencil. And I learned that early on is just, man, that that is like Apple was completely thinking of John Almquist around the world of when they advertise, right? And I love him dearly. And he's still crazy about Apple, all right? He can tell you a lot more about it than I can. And so I think about that. I'm like, man, can you not see this? It really is true. And not just Apple, but man, this is true of how we live our lives. If I got to do what I need and what I want. And if those needs or wants aren't met, I doubt that I live in contentment. I'm sure we saw some of that this past week too. All right, so... Myth number two that Paul attacks is saying that my contentment is getting what I want. And Paul says it's not at all about that. It's clearly him saying that, man, I've been in need. And listen, it's not that I needed your approval. It's not that I needed to hear and to see your gifts. I've been in need before. My contentment is in Jesus. And in the mission he has given me to preach the gospel and to be a man on mission. That's where my contentment is found. So moving on. All right, to myth Number three, as, we, as then he goes on to say in Philippians 4, he says, I know, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I know what that looks like in any and every circumstance. And so myth number three that we believe about contentment is that my contentment is dependent on my circumstances. 
It's dependent on what is going on around me, what my eye can see, what my worries are, what's going on around me, my everyday life, the struggles I'm in right now, financial trouble, family issues, marriage issues, singleness. Will I ever not be single? Will I ever meet someone? See, we do believe that a lot of the time, and this to be true of me and my heart and my life, is that I do base a lot of my contentment on my circumstances and current circumstances. I feel like sometimes when I think about this, I think about it just a pendulum. I really do. I see uh, dependence on God. I see contentment over here and discontentment. And really depending on number three is the hardest for me to remember, is depending on my current circumstances, that pendulum swings back and forth. And what Paul is saying, if anybody, if anybody could base their dependence and their, uh, their contentment on circumstance, it would be Paul. What do I mean by that? In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you go there and read, I, I'm not going to do that today, but man, if you go there and read, I give you homework. Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and you will see what he is talking about of saying, man, I have been in abundance and I've also brought, been brought very low. And basically a spark notes version of what he is gonna say in 2 Corinthians 11 is saying, I've been bitten by a snake, I've been shipwrecked, I've been thrown in prison three times, I have been beaten, I have been stoned, I have been stoned by my own people. I've been, I've been blocked at the gates of cities for me to be able to go and do ministry and love on people. I've been chased by kings and emperors. If anybody were to say, my contentment is based on circumstance, I think Paul's our guy, right? And what I love about this is, again, just a reminder, y'all, in church, is that man, Paul is human. I have no doubt that this was a struggle for him, but what he is saying is, I have learned this contentment. I have learned this secret of that even being in need, and even in my current circumstances, which I'm Jail to, or sorry, chained to a guard in a stuffy prison cell and haven't heard from you in 10 years. And yet, my contentment is not based on circumstance. We let traffic bother us. We let our kids' actions or disobedience bother us. We let, I'll give you, we can go on and on and on of different examples that I, even in my life, struggle with. And we tend to believe that our situation is special. We tend to believe that I am the exception to this. That's all great. That's all fun and games, Garrison. Teaching about Paul, man. But man, you have no idea. I am the exception to this. My situation is special, not known to any other people. And I would point us back to truth of what Paul is saying, that man, none of this is unknown to man, that other brothers and sisters are going through the exact same thing. Also, what Jesus says, man, is walk in the light. Also, what John says in 1 John, that walk in the light is he is in the light. And uh, also, Jesus says in John 16, that man, take heart because you will face tribulations in this world, but be reminded that other people are going through the same. Because contentment can't be based on circumstance. I think about my friend, a good friend of mine. We did region together. Uh, this past year, 
And he's sitting at my table and he's sharing week to week of this story of he and his wife, okay? They lived in Dallas at the time uh, a couple years ago, a few years ago. And um, they wanted that they were foster parents. They had a foster child that was just dropped on their doorstep. December 21st, I believe. So four days before Christmas, they celebrated Christmas with this kid, with this sweet little girl. They celebrated Christmas. They celebrated birthdays. They were trying to adopt her. And all of a sudden, they get the call, as some of foster parents and, and some of us have experience with this, of getting a call of saying, no, the mom wants to take her back. Of months of living with this girl and loving her and taking care of her, saying, man, you're honestly becoming part of our family. We want to care for you. We believe we want to be parents. They also found out during this time that they were pregnant with their own. They're saying, man, we are moving forward with our family. We want her to be a part of it. And they get the call of saying, nope, not yours. And so their heart grew. Their heart obviously broke during that time, but it also grew for the desire to adopt. They want to continue to be foster parents. They wanted to truly adopt and go through that process. And so two-year process, a year to two-year process of finding a child to adopt and to care for and love. And they find a little boy by the name of Micah. And they fight for him. They go into the adoption process through a lot of prayer, through a lot of financial uh, structure. And what, I mean, if you, please ask, man, it's Matt, Tony, and his wife and his family. Please ask them about their story. It's incredible. I don't have time to share all of it. It's incredible what God has done for them over those two years. But they waited. They waited. Even when man and the adoption process and the foster family fell through and everything like that. Even when man said, no, 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 it's not going to be this time. And they're like, okay. God, please help us be content in this moment as we wait. Now we have a new child. Now our family, like, how is our family going to move forward? Then, just wait, not done. Then, when they find out that, yes, there is a great chance you will get this baby boy, they have more trouble at the end of it, at the end of the process. And this is where we're sitting at a table out there in region, week after week after week, him pleading with God and saying, guys, will y'all please pray for me as I try to be patient with everything that's going on, as I try to fight for contentment with everything that is going on in my current circumstance, it looks terrible from what my eyes can see. I don't know how it's going to be possible. We thought we were at the end of this, and then we have more trouble, the more patience we have to grow. And then Micah gets sick. Then he's at the hospital, and they can't be down there with him. For a month, he's sick. And they would go down there for weeks at a time. They were able to finally get down there weeks at a time and stay in a hotel and love on him and try to be there with him before they could even say that he was their own yet. And what I love about this story is now you see Micah this morning in the kids' ministry. You see Micah in the nursery. You see Matt and Crystal walking in with a stroller taking care of Micah. In the faithfulness of God, and I know that maybe that's not the answer to all of, our, all of our circumstances. It may not be, Micah may not be at the end of it. But what my favorite part of this whole story was him telling me, Matt telling me, that when everything was going on, that he and Crystal grew in relationship with one another in marriage of saying, we have to fight for contentment in Christ because due to our current circumstances, it has no hope. And yet I have to daily Choose, let me, hear, let me say that again, choose to be content. I have to learn over time what it means to be content in Christ. And without that, 
it doesn't look like there's any hope. But man, that's my favorite part of that story is that they grew together over those years of saying, I have to choose to be this. God, show me in your word. Show me in Philippians 4, 10 through 13, that my contentment is not based on my circumstances. So we've heard myth number one that Paul's ultimate myth buster has busted is saying that, man, myth number one is that contentment is based off how others treat you. Not true. Can't be true. Number two, that contentment is getting what I want or need or what I think I need. And Paul has busted that as we've seen in the first two verses. Then we just learned in myth number three that my contentment is dependent on my circumstances. And Paul says, no, 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 not true. I found the secret. We're about to find out what that secret is. Y'all with me? Let's keep going, all right? So I have found the secret to contentment. My contentment is not dependent on my circumstances. So we move on. Myth number four, as we read, as we read excuse me, verse 12 of Philippians 4, he says, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, there it is again, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And so my myth number four is that my contentment can't be learned. My contentment can't be learned. That contentment, you see, what's crazy about this is that in the Greek culture at this time, at the, in the Greek culture at this time, is that they truly found that contentment was of such high value, they became, it became an actual Greek virtue. That is a little history lesson for you that they literally said, man, we find that contentment is so hard to gain, but yet so important that we, even in our pagan world, even in our pagan beliefs, that this is of high value and we make it a virtue. What they are saying is you can actually learn this. You can actually train up in this. And what Paul is saying is I have learned. That's a huge word, a trigger word here in this whole scripture. I have learned this over time. Paul did not wake up in prison and not work on this and not trust in Jesus for years in his life and wake up in prison and says, I'm content, right? I don't wake up every single morning waking up, getting out of my bed, putting my clothes on, all right, and going out the door just thinking, oh my gosh, I am content, all right? I don't know, I don't know if anybody does. And I pray we do, and I pray we learn this, but what Paul is saying is, Man, I am going to bust this myth that you believe that contentment can't be, can't be learned. And what he's saying is I have learned, and it is the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, both sides of the spectrum. Paul is fully secure. And God in heaven. He is fully content in Jesus Christ and who Jesus says he is. And because of that, him reminding himself that every day in prison, out of prison, regardless. As soon as he became a Christian on the road to Damascus and Jesus changed his life, he was training for this moment. He was learning this contentment over time that I've found this secret that is not based on anything this world has to offer me. <laughs> Get that out of here. I can stand here. 
I can sit here in prison and say I'm content because I've learned the secret. And what he has learned, and this is huge, guys, this is huge, is that I would argue that Paul learned more of this through persecution and trouble and hard times and hard circumstances than he did in a great abundance and need. That without Philippians 1.1 through Philippians 4.12, this is not possible. This is huge. He is not superhuman. He is not superman. I want us to understand that, man, this had to be learned, and Paul was just like us sitting here and learning, man, what, how does this even look for my life? And it started by a daily process of saying, regardless of what situation I'm in, whether I have plenty or I have great need, I choose to be content in you. Help me learn this, God. It is not based and contentment, excuse me, contentment can actually be learned and trained up in righteousness. And so listen, Springs, this morning as I teach this, honestly, all this is to myself, <laughs> is that I can be content. We can be content because it is not some far off thing that Paul is saying that we just think Paul is a superhuman that like, that's impossible. You can't not be anxious and then you tell me to be content. Forget about it. What Paul is saying is, all of this is possible, not only through Jesus Christ, but also because he strengthens us, we're about to learn as we wrap up, because he strengthens us that this is learned and trained, and then he says, and what I love about this is he writes to his uh, mentee, somebody he's mentoring, and the guy of name of Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says, but godliness in contentment is great gain. Gosh. Godliness and contentment is great gain. And it has to be learned because I'm tired of twiddling my thumbs. I'm tired of sitting there and not being able to sit still because I think I have to work for my righteousness. I think I have to work for people's approval. I think I have to work, 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 work and do all these things to make myself feel better or be content. And what he's saying is you can be still and know that he is God and be completely content whether you have Abundance, or you are in great need, church. He's learned the secret. He's not Superman. And we can learn that secret today. God has offered that to us today. And so myth number five, as we wrap up, Philippians 4, verse 13 says, I can do uh, all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think of Tim Tebow, right, everybody? <laughs> I think of Tim Tebow. If you don't know who he is, look him up. He's a pretty popular football player in the past, but, uh, and a pretty popular public figure now. But anyways, he would wear eye black on his uh, face, right? He'd wear eye black on his face during football games, especially in college, and he would write Bible verses. It became like this huge thing to where everybody was Googling. And he would write Philippians 4.13 on his eye black, and I remember as a kid, right, I was a huge Florida Gator fan. I was a bigger Tim Tebow fan. And I remember thinking, like, I would go out and play in the yard and draw Philippians 4.13 on my face. Like, you have no idea. You know what I'm saying? I can do all things, right? I remember when it was really popular in basketball to write verses on your shoes. Even guys that weren't believers, I was like, wait, what? You know? But they would write of, like, man, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. And what I wish Tebow had done. What I truly wish as me as a teenager, young teenager, 12, 13 years old, is I wish he had written Philippians 4, 10 through 13. 
I know, afar off, all right? Probably too, too many expectations. But I wish he had done that because only through contentment in Jesus Christ is 13 true. Amen? And so I can do, and he's saying, he is not saying, I gotta, uh, I gotta lace them up, I gotta, I gotta put my big boy pants on, and I gotta buff up, and I gotta say, man, I can do all things back off of me. I got it. That is not at all what he is saying. What he is saying is because of my contentment in Christ, because of, man, if you just read Paul's writings, he is the most vulnerable person in the Bible of him saying, I am extremely weak. I am wicked. I am the utmost of sinners. I'm lustful. I am all these things. And yet because of my weakness and me bringing that out of saying, man, I am really weak, then I am strong. The more I boast in my weakness, because then when I boast in my weakness, then I see a Savior that is greater than all that. In Jesus Christ saying, because of what Jesus has done on the cross for me and for all of us, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you don't, listen here. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and raising it on the third day and brought victory over death, 13 can be true. And it is no longer Garrison who has to, who has to, you know what I mean? Like, oh gosh, like buff up and think I, I got to do it all on my own and it's dependent on me. And so myth number five that this completely busts is that my contentment is based on me, is reliant upon me and my actions and what I can do. Because I can't personally make myself at peace and content. But Christ can. And what Paul is saying is because of submission and because of my surrender to Jesus Christ of saying, God, I am weak. I need you. Show me yourself. Show me your love. Because of that, I then can do all things and not just do all things that Jesus did. He's not saying that. He cannot do all that Jesus did. Hear me. And neither can we. What he is saying is that no matter what comes my way, even more need that I need today, even more persecution I know that I can be content because of Jesus. And so Springs Church, December 1st, 2019, with a submission, a surrender, and security in Jesus Christ, as we pointed to this, who lives in us, that we are now hidden with Christ, that he is one with God, you can have full security and full contentment knowing that, man, I'm complete surrender to Jesus, that no matter what comes my way, contentment is possible. And it can be learned, and it can start today. And so all my high schoolers in here, all my college girls that came back from high school last year that are new freshmen here in town for Thanksgiving, all of us that I know and I see y'all regularly on Sunday morning, maybe you don't know me at all, but I still encourage you today with this truth as I remind myself of it, that contentment is learned and that it is not based on everything that Garrison can do, anything that I can do, but full surrender and security in Jesus. And so, as I wrap up, Paul busted five myths, and so let me replace them with truth. And so if you get your pen out, we're just going to say this real quick. And if you can just put this in front of the word not, in front of all the truths, or excuse me, in front of all the myths, that my contentment is not based on others. It is not based on how they treat me, how they think, how I think they should treat me. That my contentment is not getting what I want. 
my contentment is not dictated by my circumstances. Number four, contentment can be learned. It is not unlearnable. That's not right English, whatever. All right? Contentment can be learned. And number five, contentment is not dependent on me. Aren't you thankful for that? Gosh, I am. I can let it go. It's not dependent on me. Thank you, God, for that. As I wrap up, as I shared, I was struggling with this, this picture. I was home this past week, and I went home a little early. Some of you know, some of you don't, and I was going to share with you all, but um, I went home a little earlier this year for Thanksgiving. I left last Thursday morning early because my brother had surgery, my oldest brother. I have four brothers. My oldest brother had surgery. Uh, Last year in November, a year ago now, over a year, we found out that my brother Matthew has colon cancer, um, and we've been walking with him through all that. And... uh, as we walked through that process, we then saw him go through chemo, radiation, another surgery in March to remove some of the mass. We saw more chemo, radiation, and seeing my brother hurt and broken and sick and walking with him and trying to do that from being here while all that's going on over there. It was really hard. Then I find out, I get a video in August, which is incredible, and of him ringing the bell, of him finally being done with treatment. So I get that phone call or that message of him ringing the bell saying, I'm done with treatment, praise God. About three or four weeks ago, I'm uh, finishing up uh, some stuff at night on a Monday night, and the Lord placed them on my heart, and my spirit just, I don't know, just kept saying, call Matthew, call Matthew, call Matthew, call Matthew. So I just, I I leave what I was doing, and I I get on the phone, and I call him. It's like nine o'clock. I didn't expect him to answer. Um, I was just going to leave a message. Just, I don't know why. I call him, and he shares with me that he had just been admitted to the hospital and they found another mass. And this time on his liver. So as that week, excuse me, I'm sorry, forgive me. Um, As that week goes on, we learn that he now has liver cancer. Um, And this is three, four weeks ago. And He had surgery last Thursday to remove this mass on his liver, which was a huge answer to prayer of like, can we actually, can they remove it? Their whole purpose of it was the liver is crazy. It's an amazing organ, but it can regenerate. And so they were going to take half the liver with the mass because they believed they could remove it. I fly in Thursday morning, last Thursday, not this Thanksgiving, the week before. And uh, I fly in and I hear that, uh, hey, Garrison, it's my brother Nate. He picks me up from the airport. I'm with this, I'm in the back seat with, his, with my nephew sitting there while we drive to the hospital. Nate goes, hey, I just want to let you know they, they did the pre-op stuff yesterday and they told Matthew that they would have to go into a scope surgery first before they go and remove it to find out what, if in three weeks it had grown, if it had changed, what the pattern was. I don't understand cancer. I hate it. But anyways, he's, he's, he says he's, they're going to do that first. So we don't know if they can even operate today. And I'm like, okay, great. So we go to the hospital and we find out the doctors call us in. Um, my dad calls us into the church, like the chapel or prayer room, whatever, at the hospital, and he says that uh, the cancer is spread and that it can't, uh, they can't remove it. Too, it's too dangerous to remove it and go in and expose it to more oxygen as it would spread more, and they were fearful of it. They found it that had been spreading. And uh, I'm sorry. 
as we sit there as a family, his wife, his baby, you know, my sweet nephew Noah, uh, and as her parents, Courtney's parents, are sitting there, and all of our family is in there, extended family, and we hear this horrific news, the tears, the cries, the questions, the confusion. The next day we get a phone call on Friday saying that, hey, the reason we can't do this is because we don't understand this cancer. That's all I can really share right now. I don't know anything much else. But we don't understand this, and so we are claiming it to be, we, we really don't have, a, we don't have a, a plan of attack. And so in that moment in the kitchen as everybody is crying, all right, and I, out of protection of my family and, and details, uh, I just remember a prayer. I just remember prayer from family I just remember prayer from my mom specifically. And here's the thing about this. Here's the thing about suffering. Here's the thing about circumstances. Here's the thing about all of this. Is that all theology of what we think we know, of how to grieve, all theology of what we think we know and what we maybe believe or don't believe goes out the window at that moment. In years of seeing my mom faithfully getting up every single morning and reminding herself of truth for 30 years, Probably, and I, I just saw this, and she probably doesn't even know all that I witnessed in this moment, but as she's praying just pure scripture over the situation of reminding yourself, God, you are good. Even in this, my contentment is not based on my circumstances, that all of this was trained over 30 years of being reminded, and yet at that moment, it goes. And what's left is saying, are you enough, God? I'm sorry, I scared the baby. I'm sorry. Are you enough? And be reminded of this truth that there is hope in Jesus, that contentment, no matter what circumstances thrown our way, no matter what Matthew is going through, no matter what our health is, no matter what your family is going through, no matter what, our contentment cannot be based on that. And I had to learn that this past week. And the reason I said I'd be extremely vulnerable and share this, and by the way, disclaimer number three is that, man, John was so gracious during this time. He called me last week of saying, you do not have to teach. Be free. Stay there as long as you want. And I said, I'll give you a call back or I'll let you know, but I plan on teaching. Because I saw this firsthand of saying, man, how could I miss the opportunity of teaching something I'm going through right now? And so I, church, am having to teach myself that my contentment is not based on circumstances or what a doctor says or health or abundance or in need. That contentment is not situational, it's eternal. That contentment is learned and it's learned far before you get that phone call. I pray that this is true of all of us today, that we learn the secret to contentment. Let me pray. Father God, as I just share this, Lord, I'm just convicted. And, and uh, like I said, my heart's in turmoil of just ways that I don't do this and don't believe this. Father, I thank you, Father, for this reminder. In Philippians 4, I thank you for the word of God. We thank you for that it's sharper than two-edged sword. That today, I pray that it was sharp. It showed itself sharp to all of us this morning. That it would encourage us and push us, Father, to be more like you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this time. We thank you, Father, for this morning and for your word in the book of Philippians and Paul's faithfulness, Father. Help us be more content in you. Amen. Amen. Hey, y'all, I'm going to stay here real quick. One of the things that's true 
is uh, local church's family. And one of the things, there's, there's pain in your life that we don't know that's going on. There, there's sicknesses, there's terminal diagnoses where you are pleading for God. There's tragedy, there's celebration, there's great meals, and there's tears. But man, one of the things that family always does, and he doesn't know, I didn't know I was going to come and do this, but it prays. It asks God for miraculous healing. And then just like he just taught us, and man, I took notes. It says, even if, God, will you help me to find contentment? Even if, would you help me to find faithfulness? So man, whether you consider yourself a part of the Springs family or not, in Springs family, we are going to pray that God would heal his brother. God would bring peace to the family. And there would be something that only God can take credit for. Father, we do come and we pray for everything going on in the situation in the family. God, would you bring miraculous healing? Would you remove every cancerous cell in the body? Would you take them out to where the doctor, when they come back in, there's no fear of exposure to oxygen. There's no need for chemo or radiation or surgery. They don't need the liver to regrow because God, you had brought a miraculous physical healing. You are the great physician. Father, as we come and we believe you can do that, we trust you that you can do that, but God, we also know that even if you don't, we are still called to be faithful. We're still called to walk by faith, and it's easy to say that from here when there's a father who wants to watch his son grow, who wants to spend every Christmas, a wife who wants to be with a husband, son who wants to know his daddy. Would you give peace? Would you give a supernatural strength and comfort to them? Would you do the same exact thing for the Price family? Would you do it for Garrison? And Father, would you make us people who know contentment is learned? We fight to live this way in the good and in the bad. We thank you for your word and how it teaches us that. Would you bless Garrison? Would you bless his family? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen, y'all. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a great week.